Welcome to Horror Bites on Savebury, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. He's got a score to settle with some fucked up ponies, and I had to bring a pen and paper to evade an eldritch horror. I'm Neil Bolt, and he is Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? Very well, man. Doing great this week. Really excited to dive into two distinctly different games, even if uh, you know they are tied by their uh, creator's relationship. Yes, as they are, yeah. We are heading to Steam this week with two projects by those rather talented Szymanski brothers. Um, these games can be found on Steam this time. Uh, they're currently bundled together for a very respectable price. So if you like the sound of them, do go check them out and support the devs. Um, so first this week, Jay, we will start with a game by both Dave Dusk, Szymanski, and John, my friendly neighbourhood, Szymanski, The Pony Factory. Um, yeah, so if you will, uh, I will sort of give a brief description and we'll get into it on this one. Uh, in this, yeah, a man arises into this town of his where there's a moral decay, as it's put. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love the description as it goes on from here. It's like mm. he called out to hell and hell answered. Yeah, the human <laughs> body, the human body could, hell promised, be twisted and stretched into a kinder, more equine shape. Winston's town, now filled with ignorant hate mongers, could instead be filled with magical ponies if he could provide a factory in which to make them. Winston thought they would be beautiful, gentle, and good. Hell had other plans. Um, and of course, yeah, as expected, these uh, pony people are not um, the most uh, visually attractive things to look at, <laughs> which is the point. But so it, it takes place in a very much uh, almost black and white I'd say but not quite it's um, grayscale probably the best way of putting it maybe but either way it's you know very grim very gritty looking and you know if you've obviously played Dusk you, you get a sort of idea of what we're going for here in terms of like a first person shooter um, the pony things in this game are very fast moving hide in shadows and because of the yeah, very monochrome style means that it, it, they find it easier to hide in shadows and it surprises you more there's a real survival horror edge you know to this game that you know belies its you know fairly short length um this was part of a dread x collection originally the, the the base version of this i've just been talking about this as you know if a game sort of getting a jump to a slightly bigger version of the idea and yeah, it works. I mean, the thing that Dave has put as like a, a big inspiration point was Doom Three, and it's like, yep, get that. You know, it's the, the dark, depressing version of Dusk, where <laughs> everything's a bit more methodical and horrible, which is saying something. Uh, <laughs> given Dusk is, you know, satanic hillbilly monsters going around as they do. Yeah, I really just love the visual style of this. I remember playing the original version of this and being struck by that i think the fucked up design thing you know it's very much in that vein that we're very used to with these developers yeah there's a lot to be impressed with you know it's um very intense for what it is really does again use space in a way that it feels claustrophobic, which was always a, like a compliment you could play with um, Doom Three, when it's, everything felt you know dark corners felt like they were a threat constantly in that game, you know, and every noise kind of put you on edge. It was a pure survival horror um, compared to you know the 
earlier dunes and the later dunes that were very much frenetic, you know, like kill them all things. Um, and hence why Doom 3 is so divisive as it is. And again, if you were to come from dusk to this, you'd be like, ooh, okay, this is very different. Um, and refreshingly so, you know, I think. Um, but it, it still carries that signature, you know, it still has the developers' you know, sticky fingers all over it, you know, in terms of how it plays and how it looks. It feels really satisfying as well, for like this micro shooter as it is, which, you know, can be done in under an hour, basically. You know, it's done and dusted quite easily. Um, but it's still quite challenging for the thing it is. Uh, yeah, it, it's a good, broad storytelling method for this, I think, as well, which um, has always, you know, was a quality of Dusk as well. You know, it's a Quake-like shooter in its essence, but it isn't, you know, as um, simplistic in terms of its storytelling, it's, uh, which is good, and you want a bit of that. You know, it still doesn't get in the way. You know, it's there. Yeah, but, um, you know, how did you... Uh, get on with this one really really enjoyed this for multitude of reasons that you mentioned but um i think i'm going to start with like the lighting right so it mm. having that monochrome sort of grayscale uh, aesthetic is really helpful i think in one retaining tension and actually having like a couple of jump scares that actually got me really good uh for yeah. as short of an experience as this was because i completed this in about 30 minutes um and it was the type of thing where you know, you get the brunt of the experience within the first five, but it doesn't get worn out, I think, even in that short period of time because of the fact that they play around with the atmosphere and the level design and the lighting, uh, most importantly. You know, often if you're playing a game that doesn't have a graphical style or color palette such as this, it's like, yeah, it's easy to kind of pick out the jump scares. I'm walking through this well-lit environment. There's one hallway that is not lit. Something's probably going to mm. run out of the shadows there. But when the entire world is engulfed in shadows, albeit a couple of light sources yeah. here or there, you know, those jump scares actually really do get you because of the fact that they don't overly, overly rely on them. At the same time, though, they use them at the right moments when there hasn't been one in a bit. Uh, so you almost forget like, oh yeah, anything yeah. can hide in the shadows. And when the world is 90% shadows, that does create this tension. And when you pair that with gameplay um, in terms of the ponies, the various ponies, uh, that, you know, hit pretty hard and deal a decent amount of damage that you can die within, you know, a few seconds of hitting them. It does create a survival horror-esque sort of yeah. uh, approach to combat. And while, you know, you're not exactly counting bullets because the world is plentiful with bullets, um, you are very much paying attention to your health and the limited amount of resources in that regard. Um, I'll say that in terms of the storytelling, like you mentioned, good job of limiting the amount of items you can pick up or little journal entries you'll find that way they don't get in the way of sort of the experience but at the same time they give the player enough of sort of a, a broad overview of what the world is like what the tone is like yeah. and there's a great deal of dark humor in there um, that's always welcomed um, and i think that if anything it helps to make what is essentially you know another industrial factory setting that you're going through for 30 minutes that much more unique it's like okay i'm going through this room and there's just like a pit here it's like well what's the purpose of this and then finding a letter that details the purpose of that pit in a humorous sort of way um i think it makes the unremarkable memorable not to say that yeah. it's like i don't know like going to be standing out for the next in the next two weeks or so for me but at the same time as soon as i was done with that experience i thought back oh that was funny that was a cool way to you know give a 
purpose to something that otherwise is kind of just like a random inclusion to a level. Um, yeah. And I'll say that in terms of the shooting, you know, which, you know, as a first person shooter is pretty damn important, um, really meaty violence, a mm. gun that, you know, is very punchy. And at the same time, while you do have to unload quite a bit of rounds into these ponies, um, watching them explode into jibs is <laughs> always rewarding and is a good example of how the lighting in this game is really sort of at the forefront, I think, of that atmosphere. Because again, mostly in grayscale, albeit a couple of light sources, but when you kill one of the ponies, they erupt, obviously, in blood. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you get this red mist that comes out and is very prevalent um, and does a good job also of just sort of, I don't know, giving more impactfulness to those guns because you get to see your handiwork kind of blow up in your face um, yeah. over and over. Um, I guess outside of that, it was short and sweet. It has a really traditional 90s sort of construct of a first-person shooter, hallway corridor shooter. And then in the backtracking, I really liked because of the fact that the enemies now spawn in different areas. You get different varieties because there's different types. You get a boss fight at the end that is, uh, I would say, in line with the game's humor and whatnot, while not necessarily like rewriting the player strategy or anything like that and how they're going to yeah. dispatch that boss. But all in all, it was a package that um, I think did a lot with very little uh, and was more mm. memorable for it. And I'll say, I love the, I didn't read the Steam page before I played this, so I didn't know that this was, you know, the purpose of this was to be like a Doom 3 homage. But the fact you have to switch from your gun to your light source immediately made me think of Doom 3. Um, and it really is effective here as well as it was in Doom 3. Mm. You know, it's a point of uh, contention for some, but I think that it's quite <laughs> impactful in uh, both games. Yeah, I'm sure that's something we've got to talk about at some point. When doing <laughs> Absolutely. Free, but it, it. Um, yeah, so right before we get our reading glasses primed and puzzle brains bubbling, we're taking a small break. Welcome back to Horror Bites. Jay, why don't you introduce us to Exiled? Sure. So Exiled is from John Siminski, the other brother um, <laughs> between that duo. And in Exiled, you play as um, basically someone that is looking for someone and you have to decode this ancient language to investigate a mystery while staying away from this eldritch monster that uh, is encroaching on your location periodically. So the game setup is basically you're sitting at this desk. You've got this lovely wooden table. You've got only two brief little light sources. And then there's these strange objects on the desk. So you've got this book that you can flip through. And then you've got a couple of very clearly like oddities that are tied to puzzles, basically. And, yeah. you know, you're basically flipping through this book and you're trying to decode this language. So then you can decode a message that is on a tablet nearby. And, you know, while you're doing this, you have to be mindful of the fact that this eldritch creature will begin to walk towards the player. So you have to, while your vision is looking at the desk and flipping through these things, the player has to be very cognizant of their surroundings from an auditory standpoint. Cause as soon mm -hmm. as you hear something that might be going bump in the night, the player then has to like look up very quickly because if you don't look at the monster, uh, it will get you. And as soon as you look at it, it kind of scurries back into the shadows, um, which I found to be a really smart sort of twist on the traditional sort of, I suppose, puzzle solving uh, pacing of a lot of games mm. such as this, right? Typically, puzzle games, the player kind of doesn't have any constraints outside of their own limitations in solving the actual puzzle itself, right? And so to yeah. really lean into the horror aspect of this game, 
from that standpoint of like, okay, you can take your time, but if you're not paying attention to your surroundings, it's going to be a pretty short run uh, for a given life of this game. And, you know, that aspect I thought was smart because it leans more into the horror aspect, but from a puzzle solving aspect, um, was really quite impressed with the complexity of these puzzles and the fact that you know very little about this world, but the more that you start to uncover, the more light is kind of shown on that world. And um, yeah. it was the type of thing where I will admit uh, a lot of head scratching for me. I'm not the best uh, for <laughs> puzzle solving in games, which I'm sure doesn't surprise anybody. Um, but it is the type of thing at the same time, uh, the more that you lean into sort of the brief clues that you get, um, it does still have that sort of, okay, I solved one thing and oh, that made me think of something else. I'm going to run over to this object that's on the desk and vice versa, which, you know, if anything, um, I think, well, I didn't get to the very end of the experience, I'll admit, um, I was able to make some progress, which was always rewarding. Um, and if anything, it was more a shortcoming on my end rather than uh, you know, <laughs> the game not being clear or something along those lines. It's like, you've got these clues and it's up to the player to decipher them. Um, and yeah. every time you're able to decipher something, it is very satisfying, but it also keeps you on sort of your toes, right? Because of the fact you have to be contending with this eldritch beast that is uh, ever encroaching. But Neil, yeah. how did you find Exiled? Yeah, I mean, missed by way of what's the time, Mr. Wolf, basically. I think it's <laughs> the, the best way to describe it, isn't it? it um, yeah, you have what should be a very relaxing environment, effectively. Uh, you know, you are, but it kind of veers more towards that Five Nights at Freddy's thing of like, yeah, you're sat, sat here in a stationary place and you have things to interact with, but you know, there is an ever encroaching threat that you have to deal with at the same time. But that's like secondary focus here now. You know, you actually have a job to do first and foremost, which is pouring through all this stuff and decoding. This. And you know, decoding is like at first quite overwhelming, you know, but you naturally, like any any sort of puzzle experience you come into, all the stuff you see that before you, you're like, oh shit, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> like that's then to, for me, that was before I even realized that anything was going to be coming towards me. <laughs> I kind of missed that bit uh, at the beginning <laughs> and found out the hard way. But um, yeah, what I did like about that though was that it, it does add this urgency to sort of trying to figure things out. You know, what should be just like a simple, oh yeah, get my pen and paper out and just write these bits and remember these bits like that. You, you are suddenly thinking, yeah, but I've also got to look up, I've also got to check, and things like that, and yeah, just not knowing what's going to be there each time you do it. It's, yeah, I, I love that sort of tension to something so you know, compact as this. Um, very much one of those. It'll take you as long as it takes you sort of experiences. Where you, if you once you get into the rhythm of what it's doing, it does get a little easier to understand. But it's just yeah is a lot you know to sort of go into but yeah I, I really do appreciate what Johns does with the puzzle elements here because you know I think in my friendly neighborhood as well there was such really interesting puzzles there that really did feel like throwback to the survival horror games that he was evoking in his own special way and you know here it's very much the same as stuff like mist and the room and games like that where you, you have this very point and click-esque nature to it um but again, presenting in a way that is refreshing, and yeah, because it's compact. And again, another one that came originally from a Dreadx collection. Um, seeing it slightly expanded like this, um, yeah, it's fun. I like this, and you know, it's like 
almost yeah, these games are like premium horror bites, if you will, <laughs> yeah, because sure. you know they are from people that are well known in in the uh, circles, and you know in both cases these cost money to buy. But you know I think if the very respectable price they are, you know five or six quid to get both together, yeah, it's fine. I think it does the job perfectly, and it was um quite a pleasant if slightly stressful um afternoon <laughs> of my time playing these two games uh, which is exactly why it, expe- it would expect to be fair um yeah so it, it's uh, nice to sort of see those who have um gone on to make these breakout hits sort of revisit their past and like flesh them out a, bit, a little bit more and repackage them like this um it, it's a good example you know i think for you know kind of games we've seen out there from you know budding developers and uh, it shows that the sort of progress you can make when you think of what both of these developers have done since and how big they are in their own um, spheres so yeah I, I think we've had a it was a nice thing to have this for this week definitely to, um, we'll see next week what comes with that but uh, for now we are going to wrap things up and as ever if you are a developer of an indie horror game, demo, concept, or game jam entry, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, you can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on whatever it is, Twitter, I suppose. We're still calling it Twitter. Uh, or SaferInPod at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show. That one probably best of the two. It's just sort of nudging people that way if, if you're going anywhere. Uh, Jay, it's been great as ever. Um, we sh- we'll see you all for our horror buttons next week Uh, but in the meantime we will keep searching for more